Hi, I'm David Peterson, creator of Mouse Guard, and you're listening to Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Legit operation now. It's not just uh, a voice recorder s- sitting next to my phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, congrats, congratulations. Well, I, you know your uh, your definition of legit o- operation kind of frightens me, Paul. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> well, how about this? I don't have to sit with the digital recorder transcribing the interview after this one. Well, that, that is that is a bonus. <laughs> well. Thanks again for joining us tonight. We totally appreciate it, and you taking some time out for us. I know you're you're probably really busy lately, ramping up with the new series coming out and all that. Well, and I saw on Twitter today that you're uh, you're doing uh, sketches for Free Comic Book Day. Normally, I do a Free Comic Book Day uh, print, but that was because I didn't have a Free Comic Book Day book, and I always felt weird going to stores and like. Welcome to Free Comic Book Day. Buy my book. Pay <laughs> <laughs> me money. Um, so normally I would do a print, and I because of the free comic book day book, I didn't. And I then I started getting second thoughts going, I've offered something like personal and free every time, and now I'm not. So um, I had a couple things laying around that I thought, oh, that would work as a gimme, as a, as a giveaway kind of a thing. So um, I realized I didn't quite have enough, so I spent part of today yeah, doing some sketches on little sketch cards. And my wife got me some... Uh, Copic markers for Christmas. Oh, I nice! Tried them yet? So, so I wanted to bust those out and see what I could do with them. Figured this would be a, a good opportunity to kind of just play. So, is the That's free comic book day material new stuff, or is it part of? Is it a reprint? It is, it is new. At my insistence, <laughs> Archaea, had, Archaea had originally talked about like, "Oh, you're so busy. We want to just you know reprint something." And uh, the plan was always that it was going to tie in with a Fraggle Rock thing that it was going to be a flip book. And I was like, so what part of Mouse Guard do you think could stand on being 11 pages long? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, any issue that you try to take out half the issue, it it doesn't work anymore. And I just thought, that's going to be like a bad tease. And on top of that, I hate the idea of just, you know, reprinting it. It's like you have this opportunity to reach a whole new audience and make your old fans happy and... And why would you just give that away by doing the same thing over? So yeah, it's all new, and it's kind of a like a good sampler of of what Mouse Guard is. I tried to think of like what what makes a good Mouse Guard story and put a little bit of that, or or at least what describes what Mouse Guard is, and put a little bit of all of that into uh, into the free comic book day story. So it's it serves as a standalone introduction to the world, but if you're already familiar with Mouse Guard and enjoy it, um, there's lots of Easter eggs, and it does kind of deal with some plot stuff that's already been going on. So, I mean, are we going to see established characters in the Free Comic Book Day story, or uh, you know, is it a, a separate story from some of the characters we've already seen? There are uh, established characters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's no dialogue. It's all huh. done through um, kind of journal narration, kind of like the epilogues are done uh, in the hardcover editions of, of the Mouse Guard books. So all the story is being told that way and then just visually. So you're going to see characters that you know, like Saxon and Kenzie and Sadie, uh, all those folks. And then I also included characters that are just barely mentioned at the end of, of winter, folks like Bastion and Delvin and uh, Elemis. And, and then using the role-playing game book as a guide, the, the cover that has like all those other characters, I decided instead of designing new spare characters to kind of you know fill up the rest of the roster, I would just pull characters off of that. So they've never been established, you know, who they are really, other than they're on the cover of the role-playing game and they have names because of the the chart that we printed for the uh, for the role-playing game cover. So how much did you actually work on the role-playing game yourself and how much did you turn over to Luke Crane and them? Um, I turned a lot over to Luke Crane. I mean, I, I Luke and I had a conversation right from the get-go about what we liked about gaming and kind of game theory. We, um, at the time, there was another person who was kind of potentially involved uh, or who was pitching themselves to write the to write the game and he and I had had I don't want to say disagreements but I had sent him some suggestions and I think he uh, was a little offended that I was telling him as a game designer how to design games and uh, which I can understand because if somebody <laughs> who's a game designer came and told me how to do comics I don't know that I'd be too pleased anyhow so Luke knew, knew that guy and was trying to convince me that that guy was right for the job. So while we were talking about all that and I was getting to know Luke better, I was realizing he and I, I felt, had a better, or we were at least more in line with what a mouse guard role-playing game should be. And so he kind of convinced me that he was the guy for the job. Other than that initial conversation, I didn't have anything to do with gameplay. I, I really thought that my, my duties were going to be relegated to just art, doing the art. But uh, Luke just bombarded my inbox day after day, week after week, with questions about mouse culture, um, you know, what, what were limits for things, how, how long would mice live, how, um, how does their monetary system work, what kind of animals can we see as predators, you know, we've, we've already seen, you know, a couple in the books, but what, what's the scope, and, and just all that kind of stuff, all the stuff that comes up when you're trying to make rules for a game and tell players what's, what can be done and what can't be done. One of the first questions he asked is, "How does the mouse guard, or how does the mouse join the guard?" To my astonishment, I had never figured that out. <laughs> like I hadn't come up with anything. So I, I started working on some ideas and emailed him, and it was like I was making it up as I went along, but liked what I was coming up with. So um, some of that has actually inspired the way I've been telling the regular mouse guard story from here on out. That was actually going to be my next question: was how much of that. The- the game itself and that process influenced the future mouse guard stories. Uh, decently well. There's a there's a story that I'd like to do about Saxon and Kenzie and when they first joined the guard and their days together. Kind of going through the process that's described in the role playing game, but getting to see it from Saxon and Kenzie's perspective and then how that went to influence their characters and who they are and all that kind of stuff. I don't know when I'll get to that story, but I'd like to get to that story. Monetary was one thing. I had kind of avoided it just because it gets tricky. Uh, governmental systems was another one. Like, how, how do the governments in the different cities run? And I just started having to make it up as I went. He asked about a, a lot of cities. That was another one. Uh, trying to get information about all the various cities. 
and what they're like and what their main exports are and imports. And, and uh, yeah, I just hadn't thought that far ahead on most of the cities. They were they were just names on a map at that point to me. I I figured that every time I made a city or that a mouse visited a city, I was going to use it as a design challenge to kind of uh, do something new and different in terms of you know stylization and and uh, try to emphasize what that culture might or that city might emphasize as a uh, or hold dear as a as a trait or a, a way of life and and get to study some different architecture styles as I went. And so when he started asking about various cities, I thought, oh no, like <laughs> every one of those cities is a you know a week long development process at least. What am I going to do? So uh, I just tried to make up as much as I could that I felt fit. And because you don't really see any of it, it's just descriptions. I didn't have to worry about the visuals. Um, so I basically came up with what I thought was going to be important for all those cities, what their, what their emphases were, what they, uh, what they specialize in. And now I actually have a copy of the role-playing game handy when I'm working so that uh, I make sure I'm including those and also never contradicting anything. Well, you know, it's great to you know, have a guy go out and make a reference manual for you. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> and we've told people, we, there are a lot of people who say, well, I don't really role-play anymore. And we say, well, you know, that's cool. I'm not pushing you to buy the book, but it works as a really good reference manual field guide kind of a thing to mouse guard if you're interested. Now, are, are you a gamer yourself? I used to be. Um, I've, I've kind of made like a weird policy to never game with strangers, mm-hmm. um, which means that now I'm kind of locked into like the only people that I've, I'll ever really role-play with are the people I role-played with when I was 16. You're right, right. And they're, uh, they're scattered here and here and everywhere kind of a thing. Um, and the rare instances where we get a big enough group together to role-play, uh, those people aren't going to be in town for more than a day and a half. Right. You know? And so there's just not enough time for us to make characters and do that whole kind of a thing. And uh, So usually instead we opt for tabletop gaming just because it's, it's more effective for trying to get everybody to have a good time and be able to play a game all the way through. Mm-hmm. So that being but the yeah, case of you... I used to role play. That being the case, have you had a chance to even play Mouse Guard? Yeah, well, I, I broke my playing with strangers rule to play test with Luke and, uh, and some of the play testers that he had working on the game the whole time. And uh, I had a great time. It was terrific. I thought it played really well. What did you think of that dynamic, you know, the GM turn versus the player turn? It, it didn't make sense to me when I was reading it. Right. But once we actually got into playing it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that foreign. And it, when it was just on paper, when Luke was describing it to me, um, I did take objection. And I went, Luke, that just seems really weird and foreign and forced. Or I, I suggested somewhere along the line there that, like, it, it should just be more of a, a organic back and forth. And he said, well, this is this is coming from you who's role-played like you you've role-played a lot before we're writing this for people like they've never role-played before right so we need to kind of set up how the how the thing works so if people want to break the rules if people don't want to pay attention to the player turn versus gm turn and just role-play it and kind of the normal back and forth my character does this and then gm reacts they can do that it's not going to break the break the system. You know, my my first experience and only experience, I should say, playing it was at Fear the Con uh, back in March, and I had a blast. I mean, number one, I I, I love the the universe you built there with uh, the Mouse Guard, and playing was was just 
a whole lot of fun. The book itself is is like all your other books is just stunning. How how much artwork did you did you do original for it, and how much was pulled from uh, from your other previous books? I think I did. I want to say it's either forty or sixty new pieces. Wow. I don't remember which, unfortunately. All the chapter headings are new. The cover was new. There are a lot of like weird little spot illustrations that don't really show anything but designy kind of stuff. Um, right. Those were new. There were a, a couple of things like a, a chart to, that shows the natural order or natural size order of animals that Luke specifically requested that I do. A couple of those things that that were, you know, very specific. But it was pretty much just a. Uh, yeah, Pick as much as we could that was old, and then see where we were lacking, and try to fill in. Well, it, it is an absolutely beautiful book, and you know one of the things that kind of cracks me up is you'll hear gamers go, "Well, I don't really know that I want to play a mouse." <laughs> you know? But you, then you'll you put the book in That's front. So of It's so unrealistic to play a mouse. You, exactly. You know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. You should be a dwarf or a troll or a <laughs> half orc, right? Exactly. But you know <laughs> something more realistic. You put that book in their hands, and the, you know the, everybody will say the same thing. Well, my God, this is beautiful. I mean, it really is, David. It's just just a stunning, stunning book. Well, thank you, thank you. I I really feel like, and Luke did all the layout for the book as well. So, um, and normally Archaea, you know, handles a lot of that duty, but but Luke took it on, and part of that was just because of the sheer volume of of stuff that had to go into it, and how in terms of writing it and organizing it and graphic layout that all becomes one and the same. It's, you know, it's the same stuff. If, if one, if you change a rule and that changes the page count, that changes where the images go, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he, he handled all that design work and, and I think he did a great job. I think it seamlessly looks just like any other mouse guard book, you know, we've ever done. So speaking of the other mouse guard books and the layout, the mouse guard books are a slightly different shape than you see an average role-playing or a comic book. Was that your decision, or was that something from Arcadia? No, that was me. I had done the first issue. I did a self-published issue of Mouse Guard just here at my local comic convention. I was trying to find out if I could, if I could do this whole comics thing. Some people had seen sketches for for Mouse Guard concepts and and asked when that book was going to be available. So I decided I'd better you know get on that while, while people are interested so i vowed to have a book ready for the next the next show i had played around with the idea of doing a mini comic at one point which is where you uh take like a regular eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and fold it in half and staple or, or you know multiple sheets of paper like that what worried me about that was there everybody at the local show that i do does mini comics so how am i going to make my mini comic stand out against all these others without in increasing my cost. Uh, and the idea of using legal paper instead of letter paper came to mind, which you get a seven, seven by eight and a half inch book. And I liked, I started playing around with panel layouts and I liked how the, the horizontal panels really got pushed. Um, I liked that it changed kind of the pacing of a, of a page. It forced you to do a few less panels per page than you're normally able to. And just all those aspects I liked. When I did my first self-published issue, I went through a print-on-demand service so I, I didn't end up going the mini route, mini comic route. But the place that I used said uh, custom sizes, no extra charge. So yeah, I just went with uh, eight by eight because it was easy enough to remember as a size. Because <laughs> uh, if you come up with two measurements, you know, no matter what it is, you have to remember like what your trim size is, and then there's also math involved. Like uh, I'm drawing pages at 12 inches by 12 inches, and then they get reduced to eight inches by eight inches. But if you're doing like comic stuff. 
that gets reduced to six and a fourth by, you know, nine and something. It's some weird measurement. And then so when you blow that up and say, well, I'm going to work, you know, oversized, I'm going to work at this scale, you have to do all this crazy math. And it just got tricky. And I thought if there's only one dimension to remember, that's going to make life a hell of a lot easier. Absolutely. <laughs> So do you ever get pushback, or uh, particularly in the early days, you know, from retailers about the, the shape of the book? There was a little bit of, of hesitation, I think. Uh, well, Archaea had originally, when I showed it to them, they said, would you like to change the format? Or would you, would you want to keep this format? And I said, yes. And then Mark Smiley, who was head of the company at that time, said, that's the right answer. And I thought, well, that's really cool that they're, they're kind of committed to the artistic vision that I've already put forward. Um, I found out later that they had some nerve-wracking moments about whether it was going to work and if stores were going to stock it. Because there, there had been a couple other experiments with different size books. Um, I think Red Star had put out a trade at one point that was a funny size, and retailers just said, we're not going to stock this because we can't fit it on our shelves. Archaea was a little worried about that. And right at the beginning, we had some flack from retailers saying they didn't have any place to put it. But they tended to put it in like a little easel next to their um, cash register. And suddenly Mouse Guard was like a point of purchase sale. I don't know if that helped sales. I know it certainly didn't hurt sales. And then once sales started coming in strong, retailers really didn't care at all what format it was. They just wanted more <laughs> of it. <laughs> That's a nice problem to have. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing that, and I don't know if it's directly related to it, but I have seen kind of more output in, you know, a, a little bit, of an otter size, you know, a size that doesn't necessarily normally fit on a regular comic shelf, you know, like um, Jeff Smith's Razzle, you know, he puts out in these oversized trade paperbacks, you know, and that stuff I, I didn't see five years ago, you know, it was, you know, regular hardcover size, you know, now we're seeing some of these otter sized books and, you know, I, I think it probably could be directly related to the, you know, to the mouse guard size. Well, I know that there's some stuff that is directly related. Um, I wouldn't say Rassel is just because of the, I, I'm going to take credit for basically anybody who's putting out a square book at this point. <laughs> I'll, I'll take credit for those. Other formats, I think I think it has to do with the comics market kind of hurting anyways and, and, and stuff like the online availability of this stuff, pirated online availability of this stuff. So people are saying, how can I make my, my item more unique, more special, make people want to own the actual hard copy of it, go, go to the store and make it worth their while. Um, you know, the, the comics that are printed on crappy newsprint, I think, um, are going away because the cost of paper is going up no matter what. And in the end, you're still getting, you know, cheap paper. It's, it's junk. Uh, yeah. So I think kind of the nicer presentation that you do, or the more interesting the presentation that you do, the more people are going to think going and getting your book when it comes out is uh, a worthwhile thing to do. With the square thing, I was at Chicago Comic-Con a couple of years ago, and a lady came up and asked me what kind of paper I was using. And I told her I was using Strathmore 300 series, blah, 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 blah. And she flipped over her, her name badge and she worked for Strathmore. She said, well, that's great. You know, I represent Strathmore. And could, we were wondering if maybe we could get you to endorse the product, you know, that kind of thing. And I said, yeah, that's great. And oh, by the way, I'm, do you guys do like custom sizes for people? Because my book is this funny size and I'm using, I'm cutting down 14 by 17 inch Bristol into 12 by 12 sheets. And it's, it's eating up time for me to do all that cutting when I, I don't really need to, and I'm, I'm wasting so much paper. And she said, well, we could do a custom quote for you, but we're also about to start a, uh, a line of paper specifically targeted towards comic book artists. Maybe we'll put that in the line. 
And I laughed and said, no, 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 that's, that's not appropriate because Mouse Guard, the only book that's this size, it's not a comic. It's not a traditional comic book size. Nobody else is doing a book that way. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you are, and that's all that matters. So, uh, <laughs> so now there's like an official Strathmore 12 by 12 inch pad of comic paper. Wow. And I did the, I did the cover art for it. And since then, I've seen two or three more square books coming out. And I'm, like I said, I'm going to take credit for those. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take credit for warming up the market to those. There you go. Well, actually, and one of those square books is the one um, you know that I think your free comic book day is a, a flip book with Fraggle Rock came out today. Yeah. And uh, you know, I have to say, you know, it's not normally something I'd pick up, but I, I did pick it up. I don't know if it was the square size or you know my faith in Archaea because they've been putting out Mouse Guard or or what, but you know, it, it's a beautiful looking book. And that, and that 12 by 12, or well, the 8 by 8 size is, it, you know, it, it's kind of, uh, it, it does set it, you know, it catches your eye on the shelf to see I mean, something, feels, you know, a different it, size. It feels good in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, there there have been other people who have tried experimenting with sizes that are basically the same exact format as a regular comic, but turned on its side, kind of calendar style. Uh, Rocket-O was one. I'm sure there are others that I'm I'm not thinking of, but it always felt awkward. It was hard to hold and read through a whole issue in that kind of flimsy format. It just didn't feel right in your hand. And something about the 8x8, eight eight, I always feel like feels right uh, and even feels a little better than the standard size, uh, the, the standard kind of taller than taller than wide. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Fraggle's a part of it. And I think it's also a little, uh, it, it kind of dis- disarms you about what you're about to get because it's not. A, com- a typical comic book size, and so I think it's opening up new readership where there are people who are less intimidated by picking up one of those books than the standard uh, six by nine. Yeah. So, how did you go from uh, the self-publishing and cutting it down yourself to working with Arcadia? So, I I did the self-published issue and took it to my local convention, and it did fairly well. I got pretty close to selling out of what I had ordered at that first show. Uh, I was able to you know make some reorders and stuff, and was making sure all the family had them. That summer I was going to the uh, San Diego Comic-Con just for fun, not to set up or anything. I wasn't I wasn't at that level at all. Um, but just to go see what it was all about, hang out with some people that I knew were going to be there from message boards that I frequented, stuck a couple issues in my bag just to, uh, to make sure that some of those people on the message boards got them and that kind of thing. And uh, somebody told me Arkea is looking for samples for uh, fantasy books, unusual fantasy books, not your run-of-the-mill fantasy. Um, maybe you should go show it to them. And at the time, I remember thinking, like, why? Who's going to want to publish? I mean, I don't care if they're looking for unusual fantasy. This is about mice. <laughs> this is about talking mice. What comic publisher in their right mind is going to want to publish this book? Disney. Well, even Disney probably wouldn't like what I'm doing. Well, at the time, probably wouldn't have been as open-minded because of the violence and stuff. They just would have been like, no, this isn't... <laughs> it, it was like almost between two worlds. Too cute to be a comic and too vicious to be a Disney funny book sure. kind of thing. Yeah, someone loses their eye. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. So I went to uh, I went to Arkea and and talked to Mark. I felt okay about doing that I, because I had talked to Mark uh, a couple of years before then at a Chicago show and had shown him my portfolio of work. I was trying to get some uh, role-playing spot illustration work at the time and he had done some. And he gave me a really great portfolio review. Just um, And not great in the sense that he was all flowery and it was all positive, but great in the sense that it was very constructive. Lots of, lots of good tips. 
and he he certainly took his time with me. It was it was a very generous uh, review. So I thought, well, I'll talk to Mark again, and I'm going to get essentially the same thing about Mouse Guard. He's going to look at it, and I'm going to get some good tips, and he's going to he's going to kind of tell me what I'm doing right and doing wrong. And when he saw it, he said, let's publish this. So that was pretty much it. By the time I got back home to Michigan, there was a contract waiting in my inbox to go over. And within the next couple of weeks, Mark and I had a couple phone conversations where we ironed out some details in the contract and made it happen. So, David, where did the original idea, the inspiration for Mouse Guard come from? Mouse Guard kind of started out of a, a fantasy, a medieval fantasy comic that I tried to do in high school. That was more like Disney's Robin Hood. The, the animals were certainly much more cartoony in nature and kind of human bodies with animal heads. And there were all kinds of different species. There was a fox, there was a duck, there was a bear, there was a, there was a possum, there was a ferret. Uh, it never went anywhere. I didn't, I didn't really get much done in high school. Then in college, I, I thought, well, I, I still like that, that concept, but I need to dust it off and, and take everything out that's not working. And I thought, well, part of the problem is there are all these different animal species, and they're all hanging out and getting along, and that's just not right. It should be more like an Aesop's fable where, you know, all, the natural order is still there, and the animals are more like real animals. And so I wanted to diversify the the species and, and have a little bit of everything. And I thought, well, what's the biggest thing I'm going to do? What's the smallest thing I'm going to do? And the smallest would be a mouse. And the, it worried me, like, how am I going to keep those creatures alive, though? You know, everything in this world would want to eat them. So how do I keep those characters from not just dying in the first page? So I, I started working on mouse culture. From that point on, the story was pretty much all about mice because I realized they're, they're like the ultimate underdogs. That that's the heart of the story. That's the part that people are really going to care about. Nobody's going to care about the plight of the fox after reading about the plight of the mice. So now that the book's been out for a little while, I'm noticing more and more books come out with the basically the theme of mice and even similar themes. Uh, most notably, Mice Templar from like Image. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about all these books that seem to be writing your coattails? Well, Templar is a, a writing his mouse tales. <laughs> My mouse tails. Templar is a different story altogether because of um, Oming had actually been working on Templar um, and had even published a, a short uh, Templar story before Mouse Guard was ever published. So it was it was really one of the cases of like two people working on the exact same idea at the same time and not knowing each other. So uh, you know I, I don't have any ill will towards Mike or towards Brian. Um, they've both been incredibly kind and nice. Um, they've helped promote Mouse Guard. And uh, at least I know, I know Brian. I don't know if um, Mike is actively reading Mouse Guard, but I know Brian is, which always kind of takes me off guard when uh, I'll tweet something or, or uh, mention something online and all of a sudden Brian Glass responds and and even makes it a way, it makes it really obvious that he's reading the series, and it's like, oh wow, that's that's kind of cool. The competition digs Mouse Guard, that's <laughs> but it, it's competition in the in the friendliest sense. Yeah. Do you foresee any kind of big mouse crossover? You know, Mice Templar <laughs> and Mouse Guard and Missile Mouse. You know, all together. Uh, I doubt it. Um, Bill <laughs> Willingham was Bill Willingham was pushing for it for a little while with um, the Mice Police from uh, from Fables as well. He wanted Mouse Guard, uh, Mice Templar, and the Mouse Police all getting together. But I think um, I think crossovers don't often work because there's not a good reason for all those worlds to collide. You know, <laughs> unless you're doing some kind of crazy science fiction like Earth One meets Earth Two because the tachyons are you know, in flux kind of a thing. And, and that's just not what any of our books are really about. So 
I think the difference is the difference is I think would hurt them. Well, you, you're missing an element. You need like Deadpool or Wolverine in there as well, and then you've That's got a true. book. Then you've got That's something. That's true. Well, you know, there was that whole like um, superheroes as apes. Yeah, exactly. For a while, um, I'm wondering if we can do that. If I can cross up with uh, with Marvel or DC and do you know Superman, Mouse, and Batman, Mouse, and all that. Um, and then if Templar, see, like if I get DC or if I get Marvel, and then Templar gets the other one, then we can have the Mouse Guard Avengers meet the Mice Templar Justice League. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Then a mouse it wouldn't crisis. seem silly at all. Not at all. <laughs> I've seen you know, sillier. In 2012, when that storyline comes out, I expect acknowledgement on the inside cover. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, amalgam happened. This could happen. That's true. Well, amalgam happened, but amalgam's still only two companies. Right. What I'm proposing is four. <laughs> I'm doubling the chaos. Well, and you know, I appreciate your ambition. I really well, do. You. you know, it's rare that you see that kind of chutzpah in the comic book industry, and we appreciate <laughs> it here at IdeologyOfMadness.com. Well, you know, last time we talked, which was over a year ago, I think, Legends of the Mouse Guard was just a glimmer in your eye. Yeah. You weren't sure that you wanted anybody else to kind of to touch the Mouse Guard tales. And, you know, but you had started coming up with the idea of, you know, doing the bumper stories and, you know, perhaps writing with other people doing the art. And uh, this month, May, um, in fact, do you know the release date of the, of the first issue? I don't. I just know it's, it's late May. Okay. Well, in late May, and probably around the time this episode will be released, Legends of the Mouse Guard number one will come out. I think it's a bi-monthly book. No, it's monthly. It is monthly. Even better. Yeah. You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, how that came about and, you know, how, how you're involved in that series. There were a couple of people who turned in pinups for fall. Uh, Mark, the two in particular were Mark Smiley and Jeremy Bastian. And when they turned in their their work, I was just so I was so grateful. And uh, I, I you know I was just starting out, so the idea of getting other artists to contribute that kind of work and it was all gratis. You know, there was no uh, there was no money that exchanged hands or anything. We we agreed to kind of either do an art trade or just, you know, I'll get you later, I'll get you a favor later kind of a thing. I was just so impressed by what they did and their generosity and, and what they what they came up with, I felt, fit the Mouse Guard world so well that I told both of them, anytime you guys want to do a Mouse Guard story, you're welcome to, to play in my world. Um, and so that idea just kind of kept going in the back of my head. Like, boy, it would be fun to do something that was non-continuity, that had all these guest artists that have just been great. And, and over the years then, since then, more and more people have contributed to, to uh, pinups. And then also there are people who have offered to contribute for pinups that, you know, we just can't fit because I can only do six per, per series. And, and it's just, you know, there, there, a lot of people came out of the woodwork that were professionals that were supporters of Mouse Guard who I really admire. And uh, I thought, man, wouldn't it be great if all these people who say that they're fans of Mouse Guard and, and want to do pinups and stuff. What if we got them to do something a little longer, but not so long that it's going to kill them, that it's going to take away from whatever projects they're working on? And that's kind of how Legends all started. It was, it was those random little bits of, of idea and information that, that came together. Um, so the format was kind of like Canterbury Tales. Uh, it's a mouse storytelling contest that's taking place in a tavern in, in the mouse territories. And so all these mice are trying to outdo each other to clear their bar tab. 
uh, with their stories. So I'm doing all the scenes in the bar as the uh, characters are, you know, framing up their stories or commenting on the last story that was told. And uh, and then as soon as a mouse goes into their their entry, their story, it, it the artwork takes over from a guest. Um, still 24 pages, just like a regular mouse guard issue, and we're averaging three uh, three creators per issue. So and do you the, have the stories a... are relatively short. They're between like uh, well, some of them very greatly. We've got one person who's doing a two page story. We've got another three page story, but most of them are in the five to eight range. And do you have artists lined up for the entire six issue series already? Yep, it, it is full. We have had to turn people away, although Arkea is already interested in doing a second series. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, we've got some great people. We've got, uh, uh, J- obviously, Jeremy Bastian and Mark Smiley, who you know kind of spawned the idea in my mind, uh, are in. In fact, Jeremy is going to be the first story, and Mark is going to be the last. I'm kind of bookending them for that reason. Um, oh. Alex Scheichman, who does a book at Arkea called um, Robotica, He's always been very kind to me, and and I I enjoy his book Robotica. And I what I really enjoy about Alex is that he's a real student of storytelling. And even though he's been kind of dabbling in comics since the mid '80s, he he never feels like he's done learning. He's always no matter who walks up to him at a table, he feels like I have something to learn from this person. And I just think that's a that's a great spirit and that's a great attitude towards making comics. Um, Ted Nafee, who's known for doing Courtney Crumman and Polly and the Pirates. Uh, Gene Ha is on board, and he um, he brought along a, a writing partner of his. I guess they're working on a, a project together named Lowell Francis. Gene and Lowell did a story together. Uh, Sean Rubin, who's known for doing illustrations for the uh, kids' novel series Redwall, which is about mice with swords. So uh, Sean is on board with a uh, video game designer who I know who's also trying to break into writing uh, and named Alex Kane. And Alex and Sean know each other, so they, they paired up. Uh, Terry Moore is doing a story. Katie Cook, who is known for doing a lot of uh, Star Wars stuff uh, in their card sets and the online Clone Wars comic, and uh, and now she's also one of the uh, the artists in the the Fraggle Rock anthology at Arkea. Mm-hmm. Guy Davis, who's known for BPRD and the Marquee, is on board. Uh, Jason Sean Alexander is on board. Um, a buddy of mine, Nate Pride, who hasn't had any published stories uh, out since like the early 90s, and I want to say even well, it was only a couple stories back then. He's done a lot of role-playing game uh, spot illustrations for White Wolf and has kind of been locked into doing topography, or uh, uh, not typography, and layout for, um, for companies lately. But he's starting to get back into illustration. He just did a big collection for uh, Barnes & Noble of uh, Jules Verne illustrations. Um, Craig Rousseau, who's known for the Perhapanauts, and uh, and Carl Kershaw, who's, who does a lot of DC work, but what I know him for more is uh, his web strip, The Abominable Charles Christopher, which is uh, a great strip and currently Eisner nominated. That's a heck of a lineup. Yeah, it really is. That was a whole lot of plugging, wasn't it? it really- <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't for me, so it's okay. Well, I mean, it's just an awesome lineup. I mean, there's some very talented folks you've got working on that book. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really impressed. And then, like I said, we've already got a, a list going for series two that's uh, that's already got some impressive folks on it as well. So, in Legends of the Guard, what's your role? Do you function as as content editor? How does that work? Uh, technically, Paul Morrissey is editor of the book, um, but I am kept in the loop on 
all the emails going back and forth. Um, I'm getting all the final approval on stories and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm trying to not do any more than I really have to. Um, and part of that's so that I'm free to be working on my own mouse guard stories right now. But also that uh, I, I want these people to be doing their stories. I don't want a Guy Davis mouse guard story to be a David Peterson mouse guard story that Guy Davis just happens to draw. Um, I want it to feel like something Guy would have written. I want Jeremy's story to feel like a Jeremy story, a Jeremy Bastion story, you know, that kind of thing. So I feel the more I keep my nose out, the better. That being said, I'm, I'm making sure that it, it works for the world of Mouse Guard, that it works for the length of the story, you know, and, and people have asked for me to actually be involved. There was uh, Sean Rubin's story. They had, they had kind of painted themselves into a corner on some of the layout. They were given a certain number of pages and then realized they were going to need an extra page to really tell the story. He said, oh, no, what do we do? Uh, can we have an extra page? And I said, no, you can't have an extra page. I'm sorry. We've already locked down the rest of the issue. But let me see what you're working on, and maybe I can help you out. And Sean and I together kind of sketching out ideas, and, and I was in Photoshop, like, cutting up his roughs and kind of reorganizing panels and trying to condense things down a bit or simplify things. Um, we ended up getting the page back down into its regular its regular length. And Sean ultimately made the decision on how the story was going to flow, but I was there to kind of help. Since uh, Mouse Guard Winter ended, it's, as far as what we can pick up in comic shops, there hasn't been a lot of Mouse Guard material, or really any Mouse Guard material, I think since about August of last year. Um, (laughs) Just a little bit. Just pour salt on that wound a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But this year... You know, going moving into the positive, there's a yeah. you know, there, there's going to be a ton of Mouse Guard material. Um, you know, there, there's a, a new free comic book day. You know, new material. We've got Legends of the Guard, and is Black Axe going to start seeing publication this year? Black Axe is going to start seeing publication this year. Right now, we're on target for September release. Right, and will that be monthly, bi-monthly? Do we know yet? Uh, it's supposed to be monthly. Um, I'm. <laughs> I'm trying my best to make sure that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of curious. You're the only one I've seen do this approach of a season actually being a season. You know, fall 1152, winter 1152, Black Axe being the exception, not having a a season name. What made you think to approach it that way as actual seasons of the year? That's a good question. I don't really know how I came up with that. Part of it was... Um, uh, it, it's a, it works as a, a bit of a play on words. You know, the plot in fall has to do with the potential fall of the mouse guard, the, the falling of the organization itself. And uh, winter, I think, is also kind of works synonymously as death. You know, when someone is in the winter of their life, you know, that's that's it. And uh, and that also kind of fits in with some of the themes of of the winter book. But but I don't know that I necessarily had that perfectly in mind when I started working those out. I think it was kind of a happy coincidence. So is there a reason uh, Black Axe doesn't fit that naming scheme? Yeah, it's um, it's not going to take place over one season. It's probably going to... I keep... Uh, I've listened to a couple interviews now and, and listened to what I've said Black Axe is going to be. At one point I said it was going to chronicle 16 years, and I don't know what story I was thinking I was about to tell, but um, <laughs> Black Axe is going to chronicle about one year of history. So I've contemplated calling it Black Axe, you know, 1115 or something like that to try to ground it a little bit more like the other ones are. But 
I don't know. I think we'll see. I guess I can always change that when it gets close to time for uh, for publication. We can slap the name on. Or it could be on the, the you know, because when Mouse Guard first came out, I don't think the, the, the cover of the first one, I think, just said Belly of the Beast. It didn't say Fall 1152, to my right. knowledge, until the, it was collected. Right. I knew that it was going to be a fall book. Like, I knew that it was supposed to be taking place during the fall, and that's kind of what I'd name the collection. That's what I thought. Um but the, the original naming convention of having, like, Belly of the Beast, uh, Shadows Within, um, Rise of the Axe, all those kind of chapter names printed on the cover, uh, I think, did us a disservice. Fans got confused about what issue was what. They thought there were new storylines out. And actually, to this day, uh, you know, just a couple weeks ago in C2E2, we had old copies of, uh, of the individual issues from fall, just leftover issues that we were handing out for free as samples. And we would have people who were buying their, like, maybe third copy of the hardcover telling me, oh, yeah, I, I, I love this book, and we're, gonna, we're buying an extra copy because we give them as gifts, or I need one as a coffee table book, or, you know, something like that. And they'd see, like, Midnight's Dawn out on the table, the fifth chapter of Fall. And they'd go, oh, what's this? What's Midnight's <laughs> Dawn? And I'm thinking, like, wow, you even read it, and you don't know. <laughs> that that's... Uh, that's just one of the chapters. I'm like, well, you're welcome to take it. It's free, but it's not. Uh, you you have it in that book right there. You've already paid for it. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be a little pissed off when you get home and open it up. <laughs> yeah. So um, so yeah, I stopped doing the individual naming chapters thing with Winter, and uh, and don't plan on bringing that back. And um, one more uh, plug, uh, maybe, and uh, you know, am- as reliable as Amazon could be, I guess. Uh, they're showing that the black and white edition of Winter is due out May 18th? Uh, I don't think that date is correct anymore. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> it, it has not, in fact, I'm almost positive it's not, because it has not been printed yet. Um, pre-orders on the book were a little low. And uh, normally we like to, you know, especially with a limited product, um, we, you know, like with any other comic, when it gets solicited and then the pre-orders come in, those pre-orders will determine how many you're going to print. Well, with the limited thing, we know we're printing a thousand. That's already like a locked-in number. So when pre-orders came in considerably under that, you know, like a tenth of that, that really hurts because that that doesn't show a lot of confidence <laughs> that we're going to be able to sell through these and and that the publisher isn't making a huge mistake. So we we went we stepped back a bit and decided to push back the release date and part of that was just because when it was going to be coming out it was going to be coming out after christmas anyways of last year we had already missed the window for christmas which is what we were targeting for um we'd already missed it and figured you know what's why have it come out in january or february that doesn't that doesn't help maybe we should push it back till spring or summer and then so i think now we need to resolicit it it needs to actually get re-solicited and, and see if we can tack on more order numbers and you know generate some more sales so that we can also help pay for that printing bill. Those, yeah. those books are frightfully expensive with all the uh, vellum overlays and the slip case and yeah. all that kind of a thing. Well, and I think one tricky thing, unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, one thing that I like about Mouse Guard is that there's, you know, there's not really ads in it. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it it's a little tricky to advertise that title outside of solicitations um, without ads in like Mouse Guard or Fraggle Rock. Yeah, we all we had a tough tough time with it also um, because for the fall book, Diamond was shipping them out virtually unprotected. <laughs> There was a point where once fall came out, fall hardcover, no, I'm sorry, the fall limited came out. Um, I needed a couple copies to be able to take to a convention. Like I needed, I don't know, 
I think I said 10 copies. I wanted to have 10 copies on hand just in case. So um, Arkea had maybe five sitting in their office. And they said, well, we'll send you these five. The other five will come directly from uh, Diamond. And the two boxes were like night and day. Uh, and it was right after Diamond had done a big warehouse switch. They had moved their central warehouse from one state to another. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm chalking it up to, is that you have new staff in a new state doing work that they've never done before. But uh, the the condition I got my books in was appalling. I mean, just terrible. You know, the, the box that came from Archaea was still in the box that had been shipped from the printer. So they all fit perfectly. Everything came out clean. The ones that came from Diamond were busted up, dented. They were in huge boxes um, with no padding around them. So they were just all kind of bumping around on each other. They were dinged. They were scuffed. Um, the, there's like a, a kind of plastic coating on the on the slipcase, like a protective thing that that gets like heat sealed onto the to the cardboard, so it's not just you know raw paper. It's like a like on a playing card how they're sealed. Mm-hmm. There's that kind of seal. Well, the the scuffing and everything had had uh, messed up so bad in the box that um, it was ripping that plastic right off the. It was like taking the coating right off the bookcase. And I was like, what am I going to do with these? <laughs> I can't sell them. I was like, ooh, look at this deluxe limited edition hardcover. Beat <laughs> to hell. <laughs> <laughs> we we talked to Diamond about it, and from what I understand, they've they've changed things and, and changed the way they ship stuff. I see you could have sold it as a as a collector's edition, personally abused by you know Arter Ritus David Peterson. <laughs> yeah, so then well, it looks like I'm just beating up books for fun instead of uh, you know laying blame where it really belongs there. <laughs> now, uh, one more question on the hardcover before we move on for from it, and everyone who's listening, you know. Go out, pre-order the hardcover, you know, where you can, and keep an eye out for solicits, um, because the first one was beautiful, and you definitely need to pick up the second one. Um, the second I know one there was has, an issue. The second one has, uh, well, maybe, let me go ahead with your question. I'll, I was going to ask about the snow. Last time yeah, we talked, okay. snow was going to be an issue. Yeah. There's, um, I don't remember how many overlay pages there were in in fall, but it was it was like 10 pages, maybe or something, or tw- 12. It, it was some small number. It wasn't It wasn't huge. Uh, in winter, because all the snow is an overlay sheet, I want to say it was like 60 pages of overlays. <laughs> so wow. that increased the price of the book. And we kind of put out some feelers. You know, but at conventions, we were asking people who had bought the fall book and who were asking about the winter book. Um, we, we'd ask them in person. We, we kind of put out some feelers on Twitter and Facebook and said... Would you be willing to pay more, knowing that the reason you're paying more isn't because we're trying to like, you know, stick you? Because like, oh well, if you're willing to buy that one now to get the second one, you have to pay even more. It's not, it's not that. It's that to to print these is is a real issue, and and everybody answered with a resounding yes. So so we figured we were safe. But uh, like I said, pre-orders were were low. Well, you know, of course, after listening to this podcast, you d- they're just going to sell out. Absolutely. This is going to be it. This is it. This is the one that makes you. <laughs> <laughs> the shining moment of your career, David. Excellent. Now, you, you know, you, you, you look at uh, at your at your comics and again, they are just stunningly beautiful. I mean, I, I haven't met anybody who who doesn't 
have just very, very positive things to say about the, the quality of your books. But it sure does seem ripe for being made into some kind of animated feature. Is that something that uh, that you, you have, have talked to folks about and folks approach you about? Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't enough of an answer, was it? <laughs> How close are we to that, David? Am I going to be able to go see that this Christmas? <laughs> Not this Christmas, no. Um, we're, we're talking with a studio and, and, you know, the whole Hollywood kind of process basically works where you say, they say, we want to do this and you go, okay, uh, I'm going to give you the option to do this. Mm -hmm. And they give you money so that essentially you're not letting anyone else do it, but they're not necessarily going to do it. They want, they have the option to, then if they decide that they do want to do it, they say, okay, now we're going to purchase it. Here's more money. And then they actually, that gets into like the budgeting. That's where they have to get financing. That's where they have to um, get it green lighted, all that kind of stuff. And then once it gets into production, it's a whole other, a whole other issue. And I'm sure that with the history of movies, you've heard of movies falling apart on every stage of that. <laughs> something going into option, never actually getting picked up. Something getting green lighted and then getting into development hell. Something actually getting started where they start producing a movie and then something happens and, and the movie goes away. So I'm at that very first stage where we're talking with a studio that's very serious. I, I like what they say. I, I like who they want to put on this. They actually did some concept art to show me what they thought it would look like. And, and it's just a matter of the legal stuff of getting all the contracts right so that neither, neither party is getting taken advantage of. I think we're really close to that point to be able to then get the option and hope that they want to go through with it. Now, you know, when you, when you sit back and you fantasize about, you know, seeing the, the mouse guard movie done, right. Is it a CGI film? Is it, is it, you know, painted animation? What does it look like in your brain? Um, I think CGI. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I like hand drawn animation, but I also like the idea of a mouse guard movie looking like the comic, but not, you know, movies are inherently different things than what's on the printed page. There, there's going to be changes that are inevitable. For me, I'm going to find that easier to take if there's already a difference. You know, if they if they look different already, if there's some kind of stylistic change. And when it's 2D animation, I know that it's not going to look exactly like my drawings because they have to get simplified. So it's going to be kind of like a, a 2D animation to be kind of like a in between, <laughs> you know, like traditional animation and my look of artwork. And I, I think it would be a disappointment for for everybody really so cg you can still get a lot of the feeling that i try to put into my my drawings all the details of like the texture of fur and uh, the wrinkles of capes and the dents on things and the scratches and the texture of sand and the tree bark and all that kind of stuff is going to be easier i think to to capture in a cg movie and then uh the landscape i think plays as important of a role like as a character as any of the mice and so with CG, it's, it's much easier to do things where you have a field of grass or something like that. And you can make every blade of grass kind of undulate the wind or, or tree branches that, uh, that ruffle their leaves or you know, all that kind of stuff that to, to hand draw, you actually have to hand draw every blade of grass moving or, or kind of a simulated, um, you know, Miyazaki does that in his, in his movies where he kind of does that with only drawing a few blades of grass that are actually moving, but it, it makes you feel like the rest of it is. But, but I feel like what's closer to what I'm doing is something like what you'd see in a CG film. 
So when you're when you're casting your uh, mouse guard movie up in your brain, mm-hmm. <laughs> who's voicing Liam? Jim Sturgis. Huh. It's a good choice. Thank you. He was uh, he was in the uh, Beatles. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, what's that called? Across the universe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of what's what's the word for uh, it's not a Beatles movie it's a Beatles fan film is all I can think of but that's not yeah it's kind of I mean it's definitely a a different film film. (laughs) yeah yeah so he was in that in twenty one at one point he was slated to be the uh, spider Spider Man in the musical version of Spider Man the uh, the Broadway show but I guess he's dropped out of that anyhow yeah Jim Sturgis yeah I I I agree that works for me. Yay. <laughs> I approve that choice. That's one down. Now you just have so to get again, Jim on board. Yeah, I'll yeah. give him a call. Yeah, after, after we're done. Thank you. <laughs> well, convention season's coming up. Yep. Uh, where can they Where can they see you this summer? In May, I'll be at the Motor City Comic Convention in Novi, Michigan. Um, I'm pulling up my convention schedule right now because I know when I rattle it off. Normally, I always forget one or two, and then I go no. All right, so May, I'll be at the Motor City Comic Con in Novi, Michigan. Uh, I'll be in Dearborn, Michigan at the Kids Read Comics uh, Convention uh, on June 12th. It's a two-day show, but I'm going to be there Saturday only, so I'll only be there on June 12th. I'll be in Artist Alley at San Diego, and I'll be at Artist Alley at the Baltimore Comic Con as well in August. Um, There's a slight chance that I'll be at New York, but it's slight. My sister's getting married that weekend. Uh, but she's getting married on Sunday, and so there's a chance I would be going to New York Friday and Saturday, and then flying back here on Saturday night. But I'm I'm already kind of worried that I'm I'm cutting things thin at that point. So I think what you're saying is that if we don't catch you at the convention, we can show up at your sister's wedding, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll no, sign our. Be okay with that. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't even talk about it, but I also want to. Um, you know, let our listeners know that you do do the covers for Boom Studios Muppet titles, um, the fantasy-based ones. Yeah, so, kind of storybook the, Muppet series. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you should definitely pick those up. They have gorgeous covers, um, and I know Muppet Snow White is probably the next one on the docket for you. I'm done with all the covers for Snow White. I'm, I oh, okay. just <laughs> sorry, <laughs> um, but you're right. Snow White is coming up next uh, in terms of what's be- going to be published, but. Um, the one after that, I've already done the cover number one, two, and it's looking like because of the pages that I have to do for Legends of the Guard and the pages that I have to be working on for Black Hacks, um, I'm probably going to be kind of cutting back on the Muppet covers to maybe just doing one cover per per series. Uh, but if that's true, I just did my one for the next series, which I don't think I'm allowed to say what it is yet. Oh, you can tell us. You can tell us. We'll keep it between us. Nobody else has yeah. to know. Um, it's not Tarzan. <laughs> that doesn't help at all. That it's Muppets Clerks, crazy. isn't it? We we know it's Muppets Clerks. No, it's not Muppets Clerks. It's not Muppets Clerks. Darn. I'll wait for that one. No, I'm just kidding. Well, he, uh, this is going to be a weird clue. but uh, So I did the cover, and it, the the cover featured Kermit as the lead character. And and Fozzie as as kind of the uh, next character, the you know the the I don't want to say sidekick, but you know what I mean. Uh, his number two. And then after I finished artwork and turned it in, I got an email from the editor saying, "Yep, we just had a change in that title, and the lead is not going to be Kermit anymore. It's going to be Gonzo. Can you fix it?" 
<laughs> so I had to redraw that part and kind of do a digital patch and fit Gonzo in where Kermit had been. So um, maybe that's a clue that it's a role that either Kermit or Gonzo could play. Hmm. Again, that's a terrible clue, isn't it? I'm just making sure I'm not going to get in trouble. Not going to lose sleep over. covers. <laughs> oh, I, I, this is the new contest on the website, guys. <laughs> David, thank you so much for being on tonight. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Thanks a bunch. This was yeah, this was a lot of fun tonight. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and you are welcome back anytime. <laughs> let, let me know when you want me back. Yes, sir. All right. Will do. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a nice time. Bye-bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 